Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Today again, in keeping with the Advent season, we'll once again reflect on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And to that end, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2 as we read the verses 1 through 5. Let us hear the word of God. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Well, this ends the reading of the Holy Word of God, and the text for the sermon is the first part of verse 4. And there we read again these words, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. May the Lord our God bless and apply the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, have you ever been on a long journey? We hardly know what that is anymore. If we want to go somewhere, we simply get on a plane and go, and after only a few hours, we're there, even if it's halfway across the world. But years ago, people had to travel on foot or on the back of an animal, like a horse or a donkey or a camel, or a cart pulled by horses or mules. That certainly could not have been easy. Imagine the hardships people would have to endure, especially if there were no roads. Well, Joseph and Mary, the earthly parents of the Lord Jesus Christ, had to make such a journey as well. Not long after the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to the promised Messiah, she and her betrothed husband Joseph were told they had to travel from Nazareth, where they lived, all the way to Bethlehem a distance of some 80 miles or 130 kilometers. To complicate matters, Mary was pregnant. Now, why was this journey necessary? What was the Lord seeking to teach them and us by making Joseph and Mary travel all that distance? Well, this is what we want to learn in the sermon today. And our theme is the journey to Bethlehem. And we'll see that this journey teaches us something about, first of all, the sovereignty of God. Secondly, it teaches us about the submission of Joseph and Mary. And thirdly, it teaches us about the suffering of Christ. Joseph and Mary were on their way to Bethlehem. Well, why were they going there? Well, Luke tells us in Luke 2, the verses 1 and 2. We read there, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So mention is made here of Caesar Augustus. Who was this man? Well, Augustus, who was born Gaius Octavius, or simply Octavian, was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar, who was murdered by the senators of Rome in 44 BC. He became the first emperor of Rome in 27 BC and ruled until his death in 14 AD. Now Augustus, whose name means the majestic one or the highly revered one, was a capable military commander. He won many battles, consolidating his grip on power. He was also a wise and, to a certain extent, even benevolent ruler. He gave his conquered territories, for example, much autonomy. They could maintain their own language, their customs, and their religion. He even gave them powers to govern their own local affairs. He stimulated the arts. He sponsored many building projects. And perhaps even more importantly, he established peace after a long period of political and military instability. In fact, the peace that Augustus established has a special name. It's called by historians the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. Well, sometime during his reign, probably around 8 BC, Luke informs us that Augustus ordered all the world to be taxed. Uh, technically, Augustus ordered a census to be taken with a view to imposing a tax, but Luke sees no reason to be so technical. Nor does the word world here refer to the entire world. We know that because Augustus did not rule over the entire world. He didn't rule over China or large parts of Africa. It refers rather to the Roman world, which at that time included most of Europe, Italy, Greece, Asia Minor, Palestine, Egypt, and North Africa. The point is it was due to a decree from this man, this great and mighty ruler, Caesar Augustus, that Joseph and Mary made the long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, why did they go specifically to Bethlehem? Well, Luke answers that question as well. It's because Joseph, and possibly Mary too, was of the house and lineage of David. And since Bethlehem was where David was born, and possibly Joseph as well, Joseph had to return to Bethlehem. Now, whether Mary was required to accompany him is not known. Some say she was. Others are not so sure. Whatever the reason, she did, despite the fact that she was pregnant. But there are other reasons why Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem. It's because this is where the Messiah had to be born. First of all, Bethlehem means house of bread. And what better place for the Messiah, who was the bread of life and the bread that came down from heaven, to be born than in the place called the house of bread? Secondly, God promised David that the Messiah would come from his line. 
In 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, God said to David, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And the angel Gabriel confirmed this. After informing Mary that she would give birth to a son, Gabriel said, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You know, this is also what the Jews expected. They expected the Messiah to be born of David's line. And what better way to reinforce the fact that Jesus was a son of David than to have him born in Bethlehem, the city where David was from, especially for the sake of the Jews, for whom, for whom descent and birthplace were so important. Thirdly, the prophet Micah foretold that this is where the Messiah would be born. In Micah 5, verse 2, we read these words, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so we see that while Caesar Augustus had his purposes for ordering everyone in his empire to be taxed, God had his own purposes. One commentator writes as follows. He says, For Augustus, the taking of censuses was one of the ways he employed to get control over the various parts of his empire. But, and here's the irony of the thing, in the process, as he thought of tightening his grip on his huge empire, he so organized things that Jesus, son of Mary, son of David, son of God, destined to sit on the throne of Israel and of the world, was born in the city of David, his royal ancestor. What at first appeared to be a great show of Caesar's power, therefore, actually proved the supremacy of God's sovereignty. God was taking Caesar's pawns and moving them to checkmate so that the real Savior would stand alone as the king of kings. And so we're reminded here that God is absolutely sovereign. He is sovereign in the realm of creation. He is sovereign in the realm of redemption. He has a plan, and nothing and no one will prevent him from realizing it. In fact, he even uses mighty kings and emperors like Caesar Augustus to advance and accomplish his sovereign purposes. And God is still in control today. In Isaiah 40, verse 15 and 17, Isaiah writes, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. And behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. And in Proverbs 21, verse 1, Solomon writes, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. The nations of the world may be very powerful, but God is more powerful yet. The nations can do nothing apart from his sovereign will. And so Joseph and Mary travel all the way to Bethlehem. And in this we see their submission. It brings us to our second point. Uh, 
The journey to Bethlehem was certainly not very easy for Joseph and Mary. For one thing, there was the distance. As mentioned earlier, by the most direct route uh, to Bethlehem was through Samaria. Bethlehem was about 80 miles or 130 kilometers south of Nazareth, and that would take several days. For another thing, there was the elevation. Bethlehem was located in the so-called hill country of Judea, about 10 kilometers south of Jerusalem. And it's situated 2,560 feet above sea level compared to Nazareth at about 1,830 feet, a difference of about 700 feet. And that means they would have had to climb steadily. What is more, the territory that lay between Bethlehem and Nazareth was not flat but hilly, posing additional challenges. But what must have made it especially difficult is that Mary was pregnant. Now, how far along she was, we don't know. The authorized version of the scripture says she was great with child, but that simply means she was pregnant. Nor is there any evidence to suggest, despite what's commonly believed, that Mary gave birth the same night she and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. In fact, the text suggests the exact opposite. In verse 6, we read, And so it was that while they were there, that is in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And that suggests that Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem for some time before Mary actually gave birth. The point is, she was most likely not nine months pregnant. And if she was, it was unlikely she could have made this journey. Now, it's possible, of course, that Mary rode on a mule or a donkey. That's often how it's portrayed in, in artists' renderings of the scene. But the Bible nowhere mentions that specifically. Besides that, it's highly unlikely that she did. In New Testament times, only the very wealthy traveled on the backs of animals. There's no way that ordinary people like Joseph and Mary could ever afford such an animal, much less feed it, unless, of course, they borrowed one, which doesn't seem likely as well because not many would have an extra donkey standing around that they didn't need. And so this implies that they traveled most, if not all of the distance, on foot. And even if they didn't, the journey still would have been very, very difficult. Now one could well ask, why did the Lord do this? Why could he not have caused Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem when it was more convenient? For that matter, it was, why was it, if it was so important for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, and it was, as we've seen, why could he not have arranged for Joseph and Mary to live closer to Bethlehem, if not in Bethlehem itself? Why did they have to travel so far and under such circumstances? Well, we don't know the answer to these questions. It's possible God was preparing them for the hardships to come, and there would be many such hardships. Shortly after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had to make another journey, this time all the way to Egypt, in order to escape from Herod, who was seeking to kill their son. Later, when Jesus began his public ministry, Mary had to endure many more hardships. She had to witness her son become the object of scorn and ridicule among his own people. Eventually, she had to witness him being nailed to the cross. 
Many times throughout her life, Mary experienced what Simeon had told her, that a sword would pierce through her heart because of him. Well, whatever the case, whatever the reason why God led them in this particular way, of one thing we can be absolutely certain, that God had a purpose and a plan for everything. He was using even these difficult circumstances to accomplish his purposes. What's especially important for us to notice here is the submission of Joseph and Mary to these circumstances. Not once did they object. Not once did they complain. Not once did they question God's dealings. And even if they did, it's not recorded, which is significant in itself. They simply patiently submitted to the Lord's will. Dear friends, I wonder if you do the same. Sometimes we can question the Lord's dealings with us. And we can wonder why this or that had to happen. Why this or that difficulty? Why this or that trial or hardship? Why could the Lord not have led me another way, a way that was less trying, a way that was less painful? Oh, we can't answer those questions except to say, as I've said already, that God knows what he's doing. He's in control. He has a plan. And he's using even the most painful trials in our lives to accomplish his purposes and to teach us what we need to learn. In James 1, verses 2 to 4, the Apostle James writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, wrote a poem that powerfully communicates the lesson we need to learn from this. He writes, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might know more of his salvation and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. Now perhaps similar words and thoughts crossed the minds of Mary and Joseph as they traveled that distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The point is they quietly and patiently submitted to God's will, and we must learn to do the same. The journey to Bethlehem therefore illustrated the submission of Joseph and Mary, but it also illustrated the suffering of Christ, and that brings us to our third and final point. The journey to Bethlehem was not the start of our Lord's suffering. 
The start of our Lord's suffering was actually his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And what a condescension that was. Our Savior left the glories and the riches of heaven to be conceived in the womb of a young peasant girl from Nazareth in Galilee, who was probably no more than 14 or 15 years of age. But as mentioned, this was only the beginning of his suffering. Adding to his suffering was this journey, the journey to Bethlehem. You say, how did that journey add to his suffering? Well, first of all, consider the reason for this journey. Why were Joseph and Mary making this journey in the first place? Well, it was because, as we've seen, a wicked heathen emperor had issued a decree, and they had no choice but to obey. And in obeying this decree, the Lord Jesus, who was then being formed in the womb of the Virgin Mary, obeyed it as well. Think of it. He who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he who one day will laugh at the great rulers of this earth and have them in derision, he who one day will speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure, he who one day will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, he subjected himself to the decree of the emperor of Rome. He who was the great lawgiver became subject to the law. What a humiliation. But secondly, consider the destination of this journey. Where were Joseph and Mary going? Well, they weren't going to Jerusalem. This is where we might expect the promised Messiah to be born. After all, Jerusalem was the holy city of God. This is where the temple was, his father's house. This is where God dwelt among his people. This was the political and religious nerve center of the Jewish nation. What more fitting place for the Messiah to be born than in the holy city of Jerusalem? But alas, that is not where they were going. They were going to Bethlehem, an insignificant little town located about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. In fact, they would have passed right by Jerusalem on their way to Bethlehem. And what happened when they arrived there? Well, we read in our text that there was no room for them in the inn. And consequently, when it came time for Mary to give birth, she had no choice but to deliver her son in the meanest of circumstances, perhaps a stable or even in the open air. And following this, as Luke tells us, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. Well, this is what Bethlehem represented for him. Yes, it was the city of David. By being born in Bethlehem of the line of David, our Lord's credentials as the promised Messiah were secured and verified. But Bethlehem also marked the beginning of his sufferings and rejection. There was no room for him 
in the inn. And this would be a foreshadowing of his later ministry because there would be hardly any room for him in the hearts of his own covenant people. Soon he would discover this. There'd be no room for him anywhere. For not long after he began his public ministry, his own people began to reject him and despise him. As John says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. And this was especially the case towards the end of his life, the night before he was led away to be crucified. We see him groveling in the dust like a worm, sweating great drops of blood on the ground as he pleaded with his father that if it be possible to please let the cup of his suffering pass by him. Then we see him being arrested by the soldiers and carted off to Jerusalem like a common criminal. We see him standing before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas the high priest and later Herod and later still Pontius Pilate unfairly tried, unjustly accused, beaten, mocked, spat upon and flogged. We see him stretched out on the cross as the soldiers pounded the nails into his hands and into his feet and hoisted the cross in the air for all the world to behold him who was called the King of the Jews. We see him enduring the taunts and the mockery and the ridicule of the religious leaders and those who passed by, and the two soldiers, the two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And we hear him crying out because of his thirst, and we see him giving up his spirit and breathing his last breath, and the soldiers plunging a spear into his side, out of which came blood and water. All of these things the Lord Jesus Christ suffered, and he did so willingly out of love for his people so that he might pay the penalty for their sins and effect reconciliation between them and God, gaining them an entrance into everlasting life. And so we see that the journey to Bethlehem was merely the beginning of a much more difficult journey. It was the beginning of a lifelong journey of suffering that would ultimately lead to his death. Well, dear friends, what is your response to these things? We often think of Christmas as a time of joy and celebration, and it is. The angel who appeared to the shepherds said as much. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But there's a dark side to Christmas as well. For our Lord, Christmas was the beginning of his suffering, the beginning of his state of humiliation, a state that would last his entire life. And now the Lord calls us to make a similar journey. It's not a journey to Bethlehem. It's the journey of faith. And this journey also is not easy. There will be many trials. There will be many difficulties along the way. But by the grace of God, if we're in Christ, we will arrive at our destination. And then there will be no more hardships, no more trials, no more difficulties. For we will be at rest in Christ. And we will live and reign with him forever. Amen. 
Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to bring you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. And if you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take time to write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X, 2M9. And when you write to us, please indicate the call letters of this station. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages, but you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.